Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast of Globalize Asia. What comes to your mind when you hear Indian cuisine? Well, for me it's butter chicken, lachha paratha, tandoori chicken, masala dosa. Well, perhaps I'm old school and sticking to commercial cuisines that I grew up eating back in India. However, our guest Manju Malhi is anything but that. She started the Anglo-Indian fusion food in 1999. and went on to win BBC's food and drink competition. Since then she had been on a journey which included collaborating with the elites of food and beverage industry in UK, India and Singapore. From hosting food shows across TV channels both in India and UK, she even authored five cookbooks and sixth is on its way to celebrate the 70th year of Indian independence. She strongly believes in cuisines of India rather than Indian cuisine and practices various regional delicacies in a cooking style let's talk to very talented manju malhi hi and welcome manju it's a pleasure having you over here and talking about the one topic that's on everyone's mind food <laughs> so firstly i just wanted to get your thoughts on the indian food revolution going on in the uk at the moment please talk us through your thoughts and and where do you see the indian food scene right now well i think it's come leaps and bounds since i first started about 10 years ago and uh, my first cookbook was called brit spice which was uh, not anglo indian food as such it was a combination of british ingredients using indian spices and uh, that was my way of celebrating indian flavors and also celebrating where i was born so i was born in london so uh that's where it was at the time it was sort of newish because there was no such thing or it wasn't a sort of a big kind of adventure of fusion foods at that time uh we were used to having indian restaurants and they could be run by people from the bangladeshi community people from the pakistani community possibly people from the indian community so it was just all thrown into one basket so to speak but uh, now what's happened is everything has been dissected and sort of put into its little holes uh, in a in a good way where you've got regional cuisine possibly from gujarat you've got uh, cuisine from northern india you've got cuisine from goa so so it's all been divided and rightly so so people are beginning to learn more and more about uh the cuisines of india as opposed to indian cuisine that's what i think and uh it's really exciting because um not only asians here in the uk but non-asians want spices they're beginning to learn about spices they're aware of the number of spices they're aware of chili heat um and they used to chili heat before it was all like mild chicken tikka masala and chicken korma but now they're aware of using asafoetida or hing in uh, lentil dishes uh turmeric has been big in the health industry now people are, are buying loads of turmeric they may not know what to do with it but they're aware that uh, through you know ayurveda yeah. that um people have been using turmeric and it must be good and uh that's what i felt that the education in indian food has developed and evolved 
and this is where we are today. That, that's what I feel. To pick up on that point, I think that's a really interesting point you make. Um, in terms of space or place in the market for independent food enthusiasts, so we all know, and it's quite intriguing to see the pop-up food pop-up culture now, uh, and how it's come along in the last five years, and how it's such a nice way, uh, or it seems like a very nice way to gauge the sense of your your particular cuisine or what you have to offer. What are your thoughts, and and what do you think of the restaurants that have resulted as a result of a great successful pop-up? It's it's a totally different concept to having sort of a restaurant in a location. Um, Pop-ups are cheaper, I would say, economically, and it's a great test, but all the hard work is still there where you have to uh, make the food, make sure everybody's happy, and from what I can gather from my experience, people are very fussy, uh, customers are fussy when it comes to pop-ups. Sometimes they expect a little bit more than what a restaurant would. I don't know, it's bizarre, but uh, yeah, they sort of feel that, uh, I don't know, they would need maybe a bit more chutney with whatever they've got because it's a pop-up. And it should be cheaper than a restaurant. The food could be more expensive, but they would expect it to be cheaper. But it's great because it's uh, sort of uh, given the chance or the opportunity to communities and to people, customers, to try different flavours, not the conventional, traditional Indian flavours that a lot of Indian restaurants will still stick to. There will always be a chicken tikka masala. You know, I mentioned that earlier. Um, there will always be a chicken tikka masala dish on the menu in some form or another hidden there because they know people are still going to ask for that. It's a bit like tandoori chicken, possibly in India or in Delhi, where, what do you mean there's no tandoori chicken on the hmm. menu? Or kadai chicken. So that's a, a mainstay. But yeah, in terms of the pop-ups, it's a great way of testing out yeah. uh, dishes and then maybe, as you say, starting a restaurant. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to continue because I do street food yeah, okay. and people love that. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, a few times a year. It's hard work, but great fun yeah. because people uh, learn about the spices. They know the flavors. They can also absorb the atmosphere of eating Indian food in a kind of Indian setting. Mm. Because in India, they, you know, you'll be standing Street and eating. Food. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Literally. Yeah. So they get that experience and, you know, they'll queue up for hours like in India. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they've got the whole package. So, uh, yeah, pop-ups, I think, are, are sort of here to stay for the moment. Yeah, that sounds encouraging. And, again, I think it gives a great chance to folks to actually try out something different, experiment with what they have to offer, and then see where it goes. Yes. Um, so, yeah. so uh, yeah, talking about businesses, um, sorry, talking about restaurants, um, it's a business that falls in the high risk, high reward category. Um, how, what aspects of running a restaurant do you think, you know, A, makes it successful, and B, a lot of, a lot of these restaurants are pop up, so to speak, mm. but they also closes down very quickly. Yes, they do. Um, like, you kind of break even after a year. That's for what I've been told. If you're running a restaurant and it's scary stuff, like you put all your money and your blood, sweat and tears into a restaurant. And it's not about being a good cook or having dishes that everybody loves. Like, people do come to me and talk to me about, oh, mind you, I'm thinking of setting up a restaurant, you know, uh, you know, can you help? Or uh, I've got a great menu, or my mum's a great cook, 
is is one but you have to really think ahead and also you know bite your lip and go for the dishes that people will buy because mm. people won't buy um, dishes that they they don't know about so that means you'll lose money um, also education so it's not just about having good food in a location it's all about running a business mm. and uh, if you've got business acumen or you know the background into running a business and what you need in terms of supplies and spending and hiring staff and all those sort of things paying rents then you'll be all right mm-hmm. and sometimes food comes sort of at the bottom yeah. um, so it's a tough thing and you know people have said to me why I I haven't opened a restaurant <laughs> maybe one day but at, at the moment I'm just enjoying cooking food and cooking good food and sharing ideas and sharing skills and also helping for example caterers and restaurateurs uh, into coming up with great spice blends like spice companies um, their trade also is in the restaurant market so sometimes it, it, it's so brilliant that a chef instead of making a masala blend from scratch has one off the shelf and I know for a fact that a lot of restaurants will use for example Bartok's pastes <laughs> uh, and there's nothing wrong in that they just add their own personal touch so it's important also in helping sort of spice companies mm-hmm. come up with the the right blends to help restaurants because they'll be buying it from the same place as everyone else yeah you're quite right there. I think there has been a huge amount of focus on the ingredients that go into these, the, the food business and the, uh, and the preparation of food items. Um, I think a great case in point is Calcutta Street, where she, uh, where the, the owner and the creative head behind the restaurant, she focuses on using these uh, homemade spice blends that she's extremely proud of. And where she's come along, I think it's now, you know, into its first year and end of first year and she's opening a place in Brixton already. So it's already on the chain journey. Um, And then there's also a couple of others that are focused on uh, using the highest quality blends and ingredients in food. So so that's one key factor that that you point out. And the others, of course, you know, you have to be um, farsighted, like you said. So so yeah, that, 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 that is quite interesting. What's also interesting while we're talking about the world of pop-ups is that um, quite recently we were made aware of the fact that the pop-up scene is not new to India now anymore. So as we know, India is a subcontinent and uh, there are so many different regional cuisines to try. So for example, in a huge city like Delhi or Mumbai, um, families have started hosting pop-ups. So families settled in from Jammu and Kashmir, families settled in from Gujarat, um, from Nagaland, from the northeast of India. It's it's all about bringing, bringing people close together by way of hosting mm. a, a pop-up. And if these result into a successful family business, then eventual path is to open a restaurant. So. I guess what I'm trying to really get at is that there are parallels between the Indian food scene and the food Indian food scene in the UK and in India. But where do you think the similarities are and is there a void? Has the food scene here kind of gone off on a different journey? Or do you think there is dif- there, there are similarities in some way? And what I think is in terms of a restaurant or a pop-up, mm-hmm. if you've got the right chef, you're halfway there. 
And like even in the pop-ups in India, for example, a lot of the chefs or the cooks will be from the region. Uh, sort of uh, say they've got, I don't know, um, Assamese cuisine or something. They'll come from Assam. And the food will be authentic, yeah. sort of uh, northeastern cuisine. But, um, and the same goes here. Like uh, I know Indian restaurants that have chefs from Delhi and they made amazing dal makhani. And it's a big thing and it was really delicious. And uh, I think the parallels lie there. But in terms of India and the UK... And this in, is mainly drawing on from your experience yes, yeah. working in India. Indian food cuisine, is, I don't think, is number one anymore. Mm-hmm. It could be Italian for a number of reasons. And people are looking at different flavours. Is that in India? In the UK. Oh, in UK. And yeah. even in India now mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I know Italian's big in India. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there are other flavours that are coming up. Mexican. Peruvian food is huge now. Right. Yes. And uh, yeah. And uh, also uh, Norwegian food, that kind of Scandinavian flavours. Um, they're big. Fresh flavours. Mm-hmm. is because you associate Indian cuisine with sort of indulgent comfort food which British the British love and that's why it's worked uh, but now people are looking at fresher flavors lighter flavors less cooking so that's where I think India and the UK start splitting mm-hmm. possibly um, maybe um, India needs to embrace other flavors as well like Indian food is Indian food that'll always be number one Italian food, been there, done that. Possibly Mediterranean food is something that's going to be big in India because they're now used to Italian. So they'll, they'll go for those kind of olive oil, peppery, fresh, greens-based flavours, possibly. Yeah. That's where I see it going. And healthy eating. I yes. Think that's a huge yeah, concept. Mediterranean food. Mm. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, I mean, on... While we are on the concept of healthy eating, what do you think? Because I think we understand you're doing some work on healthy eating. Yeah, I've just finished a cookbook called uh, Everyday Healthy Indian. It's focused on Indian food. But again, this is where the market's going in the UK. Everybody's obsessed with eating healthily for whatever reason. They may not exercise at all, (laughs) but they want healthy food as that kind of uh, silver or golden ticket to being healthy. But uh, what I've learned from Mediterranean cuisine is that they don't overcook foods, which means they retain their nutrients, they eat a lot of fresh flavors, less butter, less processed food. Yeah. Uh, and if you like processed food, you have it in moderation. But yeah, Mediterranean, everything's fresh, freshly caught, eat it within the day. That's how they do yeah. it, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot, a lot <clears throat> coming from India, I, I remember last visit I had was in December and I was, uh, I met one of the nutritionists there and we were talking about, you know, how do we mix Indian food or the healthy aspect within the Indian food and she said because of the globalization and because of the trades between countries, there are a lot of ingredients which are not grown in India, so to speak, people are now embracing that in their cooking. So things like buckwheat for instance, things like flaxseed, things like uh, quinoa. These kind of things are now becoming fusion within Indian food. And I'm one of the takers on it. So I now I would make, let's say, 
a chicken uh, tikka masala, not a chicken tikka, but chicken masala, for instance. So instead of eating with white rice, I would mix it with quinoa. So that's how I think the fusion is coming within Indian uh, scene as well. So is that something you experienced yes. or is that something? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, whole meal, it's not whole meal, I forgot what it is. Brown basmati rice. Yeah. Yes. Brown basmati rice is a big one. Uh, lots of people are opting for brown basmati rice. Medium atta, which is the flour, um, they're opting for that. And also wholemeal atta, which has been interesting. <laughs> Gluten-free atta as well. That's uh, where things are moving. Um, so health is very much on everyone's mind, even in India, as you yeah. say. They've got uh, oat, mixed oat flour with wheat flour blends to make rotis and chapatis. So uh, that's pretty big. And it's also quite tasty, but very heavy. Yeah. Nonetheless, but you eat less if, if you make something out of oat. Um, uh, and um, yeah, that, that's where I see it going. But India, it's very slow, you're right. But what I've discovered is uh, vegetarianism is also the key to sort of living a healthy uh, lifestyle. Uh, you can eat meat, but less of it. And uh, fruit and veg, and again, cooking stuff less in less time. I know you, you, we were yeah. discussing uh, slow cooking as well, which is quite interesting. But uh, yeah, cooking less and eating it fresh. Yeah. Uh, that's the key as well. Uh, and I know Delhi is the diabetes capital of the world. <laughs> that's what they keep saying. And it's not their fault. It's the advent of processed food, advent of fast food. And less and less people are cooking at home. Hmm. That's what I've discovered mm. as well in India. Yeah. And uh, the, they either have a cook if they can afford a cook, or they'll eat out or get a take-in. Yeah. And, uh, it's the changing landscape. Yeah, which is worrying yeah. because people yeah, uh, are having a lot of health problems. Let's, let's rewind your life a little bit. Yeah. And how did you get introduced to your profession in food? Well, I used to watch... When I was a kid, I used to watch my mum cook food. I'd never cook. But uh, what she'd make is, for example, baked beans balti. I'm using the word <laughs> bucket. I know it's terrible. Uh, or a baked, spiced up baked beans. Mm -hmm. And my friends would come around, uh, you know, after school to uh, say, well, what have you got to eat? Because they thought, you know, my tea was better than their mum's. So they'd all come piling in and you'd be eating spiced up beans and chapatis and that kind of stuff yeah. um, and that's where I thought this is great I'd love to have a cookbook you know in my later years uh, to uh, you know sort of quickly to hand see if I can rustle these things up while mum's not there and I couldn't find one so I wrote one mm -hmm. and I put it you know sort of I collected a database of recipes but then I thought oh no I need to publish this so Madhu Jaffrey's brilliant yeah uh, she introduced a lot of Indian cooking to the mainstream market here. But I couldn't find one, you know, like she'd say, you know, get the water from the snow-fed mountains of the Himalayas <laughs> and mix it with, you know, the spice which you can only get in Kerala, stuff like that. But at the time, I wanted to see these rustle-me-up type dishes. So I wrote them all out. And then there was a competition on the BBC where it's, uh, it was like X Factor meets uh, MasterChef, <laughs> where it said, uh, film yourself doing a recipe. So I thought, okay, I didn't have a kitchen at the time. 
So I, I got my friend to use a like video camcorder to film me making just a dhania chutney in the garden. Oh, really? And that was it. And then I won it. Then I went on BBC television and I cooked the dish. And then, of course, there were people looking around, uh, like agents. I went to an agent. I said, look, here's, this is what I do. I want to make it, write a cookbook. They signed me up, you know. Wow. One cookbook later, television. People was said, it, was it as hard. easy as well, it's, it's not easy because it's hard work. Like yeah. if you want to write a cookbook, you know, people say, oh, mind you, you can just, you know, say, oh, here's my next cookbook. Here's my next. You have to sit down, write the proposal, mm-hmm. write the pitch. And these days it's all about the money. Publishers are not going to say, oh, Manju's a good cook. Uh, let's publish Manju's cookbooks. It's about what sells. So everything's formatted. The publishers are in charge and they'll say, we want a cookbook, for example. Uh, we want to call it Easy Indian. Everything's easy. We want the preparation. I want, you know, we want 160 recipes. And you have to sit there and write almost a quarter of the book before even the contract is signed. Wow. So that's how you, how you do it. You have to at least test 30 recipes and have them all written out, everything, before they say yes or no. So wow. that's sort of how easy it is. But, you know, don't be disheartened. Yeah. You have to carry on doing it. And Margaret Mitchell, Gone with the Wind. Yeah. You've heard... Uh, you know, sort of, she had hundreds of rejections, mm-hmm. and of course, so did J.K. Rowling. So, um, you know, oh, you just persevered. J.K. Rowling in making me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'd love to. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> but I met, interestingly, have you heard of the, a movie called, uh, a Spielberg movie called Schindler's List? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was uh, lucky to attend a literary festival mm-hmm. with authors, and they invited me as a cooking author or a cookery author. And of course, they had. Uh, literary greats there and one was Thomas Keneally who wrote Schindler's Ark which the film is based on and then they said "Uh, uh, hello Manji this is Thomas Keneally and I said yes I know who you are and they said uh, uh, and he said you're Manji I said yeah Manji I'm only a cookbook author and he said hang on a minute you're the ones who pay our bills (laughs) (laughs) so what he was trying to say was cookbooks Mm -hmm. are the ones which bring in the money for, to pay other authors really? or literary authors because there's no uh, sort of image mm-hmm. um, sort mm. of factor involved. You know, in a novel, in it's a novel. just mainly yeah. words and the cover. So that was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so, so maybe, J- yeah, I'm funding J.K. Rowling's next uh, <laughs> project, possibly. Who knows? <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Poor thing. Yeah, she... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long time, so... <laughs> the goblet of curry, yes. Yeah, yeah, the goblet of curry, maybe. Digressing yeah. <laughs> away from the topic. But moving on, I think... So this is where you started. You already had a foothold in the food industry before you even realised it. And that was clearly a life-changing moment. So you're here, I, and we cannot... Um, Ignore the fact that yes, you know it's it is a very competitive scenario with the in a very competitive business, um, but one can't ignore the fact that the so-called Michelin star chefs in you know in especially in the South Asian food uh, industry are typically male. They mm. you know you have Atul Kocher, Vivek Singh, um, 
what's your take on that? I mean, why are is it is it because they are more successful as businessmen on the whole, or is it just the fact that yes, they they just cook well and they've made themselves. They cook well. I think they've persevered. It's been a long time, and uh, even before Atul and Vivek, I don't think we're, there were very many uh, Indian Michelin starred chefs. It's sort of something for the industry to keep up with, if you know what I mean. But these days, there are so many good chefs, Indian and non-Indian, that I don't know if people care that much about the title. And sometimes it can be the bane of one's life or, or a chef's life having a Michelin star because apparently they were, you know, this is from, you know, personal, ex, you know, somebody told me about this. They said, maintaining that standard is so hard. It's hard work. Everything has to be checked and double checked. And it's too much. The pressure is mm. so full on. But it's great when you get there. But then sometimes, you know, the slope down is more common than the slope up or the ma- maintenance mm. of that. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. And I, I don't know why. I, I think the chef world is a very male-oriented wor- world. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's... I, I don't want to be sexist. <laughs> Brashness might help. Se- there is sexism, like other industries, there is yeah. sexism in the food industry, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I worked, uh, yeah, in India as well, and uh, I was the only female in, in a group of males talking mm-hmm. about food, and I thought, this is odd, because a lot yeah. of women cook. Yeah. But it was all about business, you see. That's it. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, so it's the business heads, maybe, that are doing really well. But... Um, yeah, Michelin is a title. It's great. And uh, if you can maintain it, that's you know, mm. even brilliant. But not all of these chefs are running a business. They have a place in that restaurant. And they probably passed on from very elite universities around the world. So as you mentioned, most of the kitchens are around the houses are run by women. But when it comes to running professional restaurants, are run by male. So yes, there is an aspect of business running a... Uh, probably I'm just you know covering up for the male guys here, but uh, uh, yeah, business running a business is obviously you know what what what, my, what I'm trying to understand is these Michelin star restaurants or the Michelin star chefs do they have a take or some kind of stake within within the business? Yes, most probably they do, um, and. They can also ask for more money, for example, mm. if you have a Michelin star to your name. So it's all about the money. It's all about business. Yes. That's what I think. And um, there are women who run restaurants who fail, but there are also men who run restaurants who fail, and they do close down. A lot of restaurants I've reviewed have also closed down, uh, and you kind of wonder why. But then sometimes you're aware, like there's uh, a great restaurant I know, and it's a female chef, but then the PR and the marketing is not big enough for everyone to know about the restaurant and the food. Also, sadly, social networking is big. Uh, and, you know, having to spend a few pennies on that would be better than maybe changing the menu or, or, mm. or sort of, you know, changing the chef. 
that, that's what I think. The whole thing about food now has become so kind of social network fierce. So you, so you feel that at some point the focus moves away from the food Absolutely. and it becomes more totally. about the business. Yeah, the image, the, image. the business, yeah. uh, the sort of the first sense is sight mm. as well. So it's the more look as opposed to the taste. Yeah, the whole thing because, uh, because it was on Instagram and it's got a million followers, it must be a good restaurant, that sort of thing. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's moving away from food and it's all about, yeah. Followers and numbers. It's the numbers game. Yeah. Okay, let's move away from food. Let's yeah. let's talk about your yeah. family. Yeah, all right. Okay. Let's talk about, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> let's talk about how did they move? I mean, which part yes, yeah. of India they come from? And, yeah. And how was the early days for you? My parents uh, were both born in India. Uh, my mom was a nurse at a, at a hospital in Bombay, and my dad was a chemist. He was Punjabi, and uh, at the time in the sixties they eloped. <laughs> to the UK um, for whatever reasons they have uh, and started and decided to start a, a new life or begin a life here away from all that sort of uh, um, troubles they felt they had uh, in India uh, and then I was born and then my brother and then they settled down and at the time they didn't have many pennies in their pockets so they worked hard and, uh, you know, my mum and dad sort of ran the household in a way to respect food. And, and that's where I suppose I picked up the sort of passion for eating and also the passion for cooking was sort of from mm. that family background. My father's from Punjab, so hence I, we've, I've got that Punjabi flavour in my food. And Maharashtra as well, where uh, before my father passed away, we were kids when he passed away, uh, they decided to move back to India after the dust had settled and we were small kids. And uh, then I went to Mumbai to study. So I embraced the Mumbai culture there and, and the food and the, and, the, and the fish dishes and everything. So that was my kind of foodie history. So I picked up Maharashtrian cuisine as well as Punjabi cuisine. But then suddenly my father died and we all had to come back to the UK. And my mom was a widow and um, yeah, she had to bring up me and my brother um, with whatever she had. So she was sort of a working nurse. Um, but uh, so it hasn't been an easy road. Yeah. But then I loved the media. I loved broadcasting at the time. And uh I sort of used to DJ for a BBC station, oh, wow. and from that, uh, I did TV continuity announcing, which is uh, sort of live television on BBC One, BBC Two. You know, there's a coming up news night, this, that, that, and the other. Yeah. I did that. It was all live TV. So I sort of developed that kind of professionalism and expertise, uh, and then I left the BBC, entered this competition, and then uh, got the deal with Penguin Books. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was interesting because Penguin said, you're the first author to deliver on time. But it was brilliant because uh, they were saying, I, I must have, I, I think I felt that, you know, the BBC, for whatever reasons you may uh, like or dislike it, you know, gave me that grounding, that training to pursue my other passions. Mm. And uh, this is where I am today, where, you know, after winning that competition and... Uh, 
and writing four cookbooks or now five. Uh, I've met so many people from different parts of the world as well, Dubai, mm-hmm. Hong Kong, they're obsessed with Indian food, which, which was an eye-opener because I thought, you know, uh, Chinese cuisine is amazing. But then they wanted those flavors, mm-hmm. like the garam masala mm-hmm. uh, and the cardamom flavors, the cinnamon, they love. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, that's my history. It's it sort of checkered. But, uh, but all through, you know, the passion of food and sharing food, which is uh, also where I'm at at the moment, where I'm teaching people how to scratch cook, because that's also mm-hmm. a habit that's dying out, mm. uh, or, or a tradition, even in India. Yeah. It's all dying out. It's, it's quite sad, like these instant noodle mixes, <laughs> dare I say. People are obsessed with it. And they, but the thing is, they're carrying on beyond their student years, mm-hmm into bringing it into their families, into their homes, and also, also into their children's lives. The feeling of nostalgia, isn't it? That's what it is. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 It's just those sachets. Heaven knows what's in them, but uh, <laughs> but salt and sugar, that, that's the thing. MSG? Uh, yeah, more yeah. sodium glutamate. Yeah. Sodium is a big thing, interestingly, you were mm-hmm. saying. That's also what I've been told, um, try and cut back on sodium in food mm-hmm. and also educating one's taste buds, not only here, but in India as well. People want salt and they come up with this excuse. <laughs> they say, no, you, because you're sweating so much in India, you use a lot of, lose a lot of salt, so I have to eat <laughs> more salt. That, that's, the, yeah. that's the biggest mm-hmm. uh, excuse. Yeah. I've had, but... Uh, <laughs> so so is, is that some of the work you've done in India recently? Uh, yeah, like also we talked about Mediterranean cuisine. Yeah. I've also worked with Indian companies mm-hmm. who are promoting uh, sort of Mediterranean ingredients. Oh. So Mediterranean masala is something that I'd like to do the next phase of my fusion life. Mediterranean masala? Mediterranean masala, yes. Does it have a name? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just uh, it's using olives, making pakoras, okay. uh, doing uh, like uh, pulaos mm-hmm. with olive oil, um, sort of uh, like chutneys using red peppers and walnuts, mm-hmm. okay. fresh ingredients. Paprika, whatever. Yeah, yeah, paprika, uh, peppers, fresh peppers, simla mirch, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. That's what I'd like to do, and it'd be I'd love to do a book uh, on healthy Mediterranean cooking. For the Indian market. That, that sounds very mm-hmm. interesting, yes. And I think um, while we're still stuck in the Bombay Iranian cafes here, <laughs> yes. the, con- the, the colonial nostalgia uh, restaurants that are opening up across London, I guess it's fair to say that Indian food scene is changing back in India. They're, they're opening up to different types of food, different tastes, flavors, and I think that can only be a good thing. Um, I think what we would like to do while kicking off is um, just to give you a little bit of a rapid fire with some interesting questions where we think we could not only get to know about where you're at, but also just your take on different things. So there are just five brief questions and let's get your take. Do you want to start? Okay, so quick, a moment that changed your life. I suppose it's when I won the competition to uh, cook on television, live TV, on the BBC. Okay. And um, a childhood foodie memory? Um, Sukka Bombil in Maharashtra, which oh, is yeah. that uh, dried fish, yes. Bombay duck. Bombay duck. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's really obscure now. <laughs> and you're not allowed to take it on a plane. Yeah, of course. 
<laughs> what does your home kitchen look like? It's okay. It's on its last legs because I've been <laughs> cooking. I use it three times a day at least mm-hmm. to cook. Um, but it's got this amazing spice cupboard, which I bought from an antiques shop in Brighton, but I think it's Indian. Right. And everyone raves about it. Wow. Um, a childhood dish that you miss the most? I suppose the Bombay duck one it would be. Oh, would okay. be. <laughs> but some people may think not because <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Wow. And your mum still makes that for you? No, no, <laughs> she doesn't make that. <laughs> well, what we make, uh, Galwan, I miss uh, Maharashtran, you know, good quality uh, fish curry, Maharashtran okay. fish curry. Mm. Is that your idea of perfect meal as well? With a bit of rice. Yeah. Dal chawal is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> comfort food. Yes, comfort yeah. cuisine. Okay, well, what, what's keeping you busy these days then? Well, it's the teaching at uh, the two places, teaching the elderly as well as children how to scratch cook and cook healthily. Yeah. Uh, and that's been great. That's very satisfying as well for me yeah. to share my um, food ideas and for them to pick up just one little tip at every class and then my job is done. Wow. And um, we understand there's a cookbook coming on later yeah, this year? Yeah, it's uh, later in the year. Hopefully, you know, before the year is up to celebrate 70 years of Indian independence from mm-hmm. the Brits. Uh, so, yes, everyday healthy Indian cuisine. Okay. Which should be on sale online, on Amazon, if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please feel free. I mean, even you have already uh, published a few books. So yeah. if our listeners would like to go and, you know, purchase that, can you just tell us where they can go? And yeah, I suppose Amazon, uh, also on eBay. <laughs> if yeah. I get it signed and then you can sell it off. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, eBay, Amazon uh, and booksellers. Okay. Thank you. Uh, clearly, I think, Manju, uh, it's it's fair to say you've got your fingers in many curries. Sorry, yes. that from you. So, yes, <laughs> On that note, I think this was, uh, this was an episode where we're feeling hungry now. So let's get on to some food. But thanks very much for coming over. It was an absolute pleasure having you. And we wish you all the luck with the book and also your scratch cooking. I'm Thank sure a lot you. of people will be interested to get in touch. And if I can just interject and say, if anyone's stuck or has any kitchen queries or problems with their curries, just email me at manjumali.com. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can catch all upcoming episodes on the website globalize-asian.co.uk or via your iOS or Android devices. Also, if you wish to join us as a speaker and share your story, please do drop us a message via the contact form on the website. That's it for now from Gagan and Vetsala. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to our podcast. A quick shout out to our supporter for the podcast, Royal Beans. Royal Beans is a premium artisan chocolate brand operating out of the city of Bangalore in India. Currently, they are offering Belgian chocolate bonbons infused with interesting flavors like cappuccino, masala chai, dark chocolate ganache, sea salt caramel and many more. Just visit their website on royalbeans.in and order for yourself or get it delivered to your loved ones in major cities across India. As a listener of a podcast, you are entitled to get 10% discount on the order value when you use the code GLA10 at the checkout. So go ahead and check it out.